0: Our subject this morning is the best way to pray. And this may seem a simple subject, but it's actually very subtle and very profound because the power with which we pray correctly is God's power, not our own. We have to have, in the beginning, a sense of real confidence, utter confidence, that God wants to help us, that God loves us, that God is always with us. The thought of beggarly prayer. You know that chant, Door of My Heart, which we just sang? In the original Bengali, there is a stanza saying, Ami Bikiri, I am a beggar standing at your door, in other words. Yogananda didn't translate that. He didn't believe that we should think of ourselves as beggars standing at the door of God. You know, if you are approached by a beggar, you may, out of a feeling of a certain generosity, give him a dollar. But if your child comes to you and asks for help, you'll give him everything you've got. We have to approach God as his children. Somebody who knows Aramaic, studying the old scripture, said that the uh, Lord's Prayer is uh, the the meaning of the word in Aramaic for father is like our meaning, daddy. It's a very familiar, very endearing expression of love. We should have that kind of absolute confidence in him. But there's another thing which makes it a lot more subtle, which is that it's he anyway who's praying. He's the only one who exists anywhere. There's nothing else. It's so hard to separate God from ourselves. And yet he is the doer of everything. How do we know where one begins and the other ends? There's a very interesting story from the life of Ramakrishna. He was initiated into Nirvikalpa Samadhi by Totapuri, who was a very, very much of a jnani and who believed completely that God and he were absolutely one, which they were. And yet, there was still a little bit of that thought in his mind. There was one time he was very ill. He had dysentery very badly, and he thought, well, I, I, there's no point in living in this body anymore. I've, this body has served me as long as it needs to. I can dump it at any time. Let me just leave it. And so with that determination, he entered the Ganges. And as he walked out into the Ganges, determined to drown himself, the water kept receding, (laughs) and he couldn't get deep enough to drown himself. And then he had to recognize that what Ramakrishna was saying to him also is true, that yes, the Spirit is one with God, and yet there is also a separateness. He is infinite. We are small. We can become infinite, but as long as we have this thought of this body at all, as something of our own. We're separate from him. So when we pray, we have to pray with that absolute conviction that he is with us, a certain amount of presumption, not not challenging, not in that sense, but Master said, pray as if you were demanding. Now, usually, unfortunately, language is a very tricky instrument. When you say demand, You often think of somebody challenging somebody, I demand my rights, kind of thing. That's not what he meant. But when you know that somebody is your own, won't you ask him with that expectation that he wants to give it to you? Whatever it is that you're asking. (coughs) It's absolutely amazing how prayer can be answered if we pray with that consciousness. But there's another point to it that needs to be understood also, and that is that we've got to pray with power. We can't, first of all, we must not pray to God saying, well um, I'd like very much if you'd like to do this to me, but I know you're probably very busy, but uh, (coughs) have to pray with real power. But at the same time, we have to pray with love. I've told you this story, but it's been a long time and many of you probably weren't here then. But many years ago, it was in 1972, uh, I felt guided by Divine Mother to go back to India. I hadn't been there for 10 years. But I felt it was right for me to go back. And I had a little money that I'd (laughs) gained from classes and some that I'd saved up and I figured I had just about the money I needed to go and come back and it was, I'd be fine. And so I, I uh, was all set to go in two weeks when I drove my car down to San Francisco and suddenly uh, something went wrong. Now you all who know cars will be amused at my simplicity on this so I'm not even going to expose it. Something went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> had something to do with rod, or I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, it was obvious that the car had, I had to get rid of this thing. It was, it was, it uh, ended its usefulness. (coughs) (coughs) And so, I thought, well I'm supposed to go to India. And if I go to India, I'll use up all the money I have and I can't get a new car. So what should I do? And we, and various friends of mine, we didn't have a church to go to then, as we might have done if we had this church here, all the way from San Francisco, but uh, I just sat in a restaurant, not the best place to pray, but I was saying, well, what, what should we do? And I didn't get any guidance. So I said to Divine Mother, well, my common sense tells me that I'm only going to be in India for two months. When I come back, I'm going to need a car. I live up there in the mountains. Without a car you can't really get around very far. So I said, Divine Mother, my common sense (coughs) tells me to get this car. If you still want me to go to India, you're going to have to reimburse me. (laughs) I put it just like that. I didn't say, Divine Mother, please. None of that nonsense. If she really wanted me to go into India, that was her business. And if she really wanted me to go, and my mind told me I had to do this, then the obvious alternative was, well, reimburse me. So, okay, that's how I prayed. You might say it was not very devotional, but yes, it was. <laughs> it was devotional because I love her. That's, that's the whole thing. And so I put $1,100 down on a good used car, and uh, got the car, and uh, the next, this was Friday evening, Monday morning, the next Monday morning, I got a letter from somebody where the letter said, please use this money as Divine Mother wants you to. Now, how many people would write that way? It was somebody I didn't even know. He had just been uh, released from the army and uh, he just had wanted to send me some money and it was was a thousand, a check for a thousand dollars. So I had the money I needed. Well, it was such a marvelous manifestation. I've seen so many, and we have seen so many in the history of Ananda, that it's difficult to imagine um, that God doesn't exist. It's difficult to imagine that he doesn't want to take care of you. He does. Now, remember, he will. But when you say, God, why don't you answer? Well, you're putting a block up, aren't you? You've got to say with full conviction, I know you've got something in mind for me. You know, sometimes we go through tests. It isn't as if God is always smoothing the path in front of you. Quite the opposite. He often throws thorns in the way. That's the way you become strong. But if you, if you say, God, I know you've got something here in store for me and I know it's, what, it's, for, it's right for me, it's for my good. And it's right for others you will see that the severest test, even, always ends in a blessing. And more than that, when you look back at the end of the road, whatever road it is, look back on what happened, you'll see that the blessing could only have come through that test. It's not as if, well, yeah, but couldn't you have spared me that trouble? Couldn't it have come more easily this other way? Why did you have to put me through all the fun games? It really, you find out that it was the only way it could have happened. That through our tests, the right doors open, the right doors are closed, the right people come to us, the right opportunities open themselves. You've got to have that faith because otherwise, well, you know the story, I've told it to you too. In the, times that I've been here, and I've, I feel um, very apologetic for not being here the last time I was down here, but I had a fever and couldn't really get out the door even. So I'm making up for it today, and I want you to know that I would have made up for it even if it hadn't been that way then. So it's not just paying a, a debt, I wanted to say goodbye to you all. Because tomorrow, as most of you know, I go back to Italy after Just about six months in this country. Well, anyway, the the, uh, blessings that we find in living for God are constant, but we've got to have that faith to put our hands in his. There's a story of a, a man who put his son on a dresser and then said, jump son, I'll catch you and then I'll give you a dollar." And the son was afraid and he says, come on, son, don't be afraid, I'll catch you. So the son finally jumps and the father backs off and the son goes crashing down and the father says, now, sonny, let that be a lesson. When it comes to money, don't even trust your own dad. (laughs) That is not That's sort of the feeling a lot of people have. Yeah, well, I trust you, but I'm not quite sure how much. I'll give you my little finger. I won't give you my hand. Mm. But if you really can place yourself in his hands, if you can really offer yourself and say, I don't want anything but you. I want to serve you. I want to do my best. I may be weak. I may have my faults. I may uh, fall again and again. I know I want only you. When we can live like that, then we find that, yes, he's with us, and his love is a wonderful thing. We find it constantly supporting us. Now, I'm not going to talk on that subject all that much right now. I have another subject that I'd like to discuss. We've been through a major test at Ananda for 12 years. It may be over almost. It is just about over because, as you know, Self-Realization Fellowship sued us. Now, it's a curious thing. Why would brothers sue brothers? Well, it happens in <coughs> in religion again and again that after the founder goes, after the thing is set, they think that defines the truth that he came to bring. That's a great mistake. And so the followers of Sri Yukteswar are of Lahiri Mahasaya were upset with the followers, some of them, and some of them, some of the followers of Lahiri Mahasaya, some of the followers of Sri Yukteswar, some of the followers of Sri were upset with Yogananda, it just goes on. Everybody thinks that the form crystallizes and defines the spirit. That isn't what it's all about. But SRF got the idea, what right do we have to spread these teachings when we control them? And our answer to that is, What right does anybody have to say that he controls the truth? We're disciples of the same truth. Are we supposed to be silent? Why should we be silent? I had no choice but to serve on my own. That's why I'm serving on my own. But I do it convinced that that's what God wants of me. And I think that what has happened with Ananda is a living proof of that. And so anyway they First of all, they sued us because we took the name Self-Realization, Ananda Church of Self-Realization. They claimed a monopoly. Well, this expression has been around for a long time. You can't, you can't um, copyright a word like Self-Realization. And so we had to stand up to them, because we knew that if we gave in to them on that, they'd always be there telling us what we couldn't do. And that's what they've been doing with me for 40 years. The only positive directive I've ever had was when I was first thrown out for serving in a way that I believed in and still believe in. The only positive suggestion was that I go to Fiji. And <laughs> <clears throat> it might have worked if I'd had the money. <laughs> I didn't have any money and so that was that. But. Uh, we couldn't live with that. We did offer compromises. For example, we suggested God-realization. No, this was their chance to really suppress us. That's what this lawsuit's been all about, destroying Ananda. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. They have wanted to destroy us in order to reign supreme. Now that's not a dharmic thing, nor can we accept that kind of thing. We can love them. Yes, in fact, just this week, how many times I've tried, but I tried again. I talked with a couple of their monks, had a long discussion with them. I I said, listen, it's wonderful for me. This is the first time in 40 years I've even had a chance to be heard. But I said, why can't we work together? Why can't we recognize that we're one family? Why do we have to have such separations? So we define it in one way, you define it in another. Does that mean that we are enemies? We shouldn't be. They liked it. They agreed with me, but that's not been the prevailing philosophy, nor did it stop the lawsuit. I, said, I did this in response to the judge who was trying to get us to settle, determined to make us settle. They're absolutely determined. They want only one thing, for us to shut up and go away. Well. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. There seems to be too much enthusiasm here. And I, (laughs) I, therefore, but we don't have anything against them. We really don't. However, if somebody's going to try to kill you, I said to one of those monks there, I said, well, what was I supposed to do, shoot myself? I have to serve my guru. The only thing I can't do in serving my guru is nothing. So anyway, Shivani, who's here from Italy, why don't you stand up so we can all see you. <laughs> Back in those days, she decided she wanted to give the uh, Bhagavad Gita articles um, uh, as a Christmas present to us. And so she didn't even tell me what, what it was all about, but she asked if she could borrow my magazines, and so she mimeographed some of these and packaged them up for a Christmas present. It was a beautiful Christmas present and the obvious reasoning is, here these articles are by our guru, and you can't have access to them because they're old magazines that are out of print. Is it a moral wrong, a spiritual wrong to share this with people? Not to make money on it, just to share it. And that's what this lawsuit's all about. You had no right. Well, I bless Shivani, even if she got us into this mess. (laughs) I bless her for going through with that. But it's an unbelievable thing. The judge himself can't believe it. But there it is, and now it's gone to the jury. So tomorrow we may well, in fact, should have some sort of an answer. But the fight is over after twelve years and that's the beautiful thing. I had an interesting dream last night in which I was talking to, first of all it seemed to be Manosh in India who is a friend of ours and he's the son of Devi Mukherjee who is a friend of ours. and Devi, of course, I've known for many more years than any of you. and. Uh, then it became sort of a general thing, so you know how dreams are, but there was a lot of, a lot of power in this dream also. First of all, I was saying, why, why don't we um, get the government to give us some property that we can build a whole new civilization, that we don't have to be constantly compromising with what's going on in the world around us, that is a, always a step away from what we want, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could build just a really coherent thing? Well, that's what we're doing with Ananda. But in this dream, I was saying, here I am 76 years old. There's not much I can do at my age to start anything like this. But each one of us has to do his little bit. We're not important in ourselves. But each one of us adds a little, another chapter to a saga that is God's. We're all of us, children of God, doing things together. And we each define it in terms of, well, do you define it in terms of Ananda? I don't know. I hope you don't. But it's a natural thing to do, as they define it by Self-Realization Fellowship, as others define it by what Larry Marsh said and Sri Yukteswar said and so on. You can't define it. Truth is universal, but what is really happening today is that a whole new wave of consciousness has come into this world, and it needs to be given a clarity of definition. This new age of Dwapara Yuga, it's a whole change in human consciousness. I don't mean the change will be absolute, no, it's still a materialistic age, but an age in which there is a lot more, a feeling of sharing, a feeling of energy, a feeling of not so much forms as as directions, a new way of looking at life. It's not so easy to do, let's say, here in Palo Alto. We have a community that makes it much stronger. But living out there where everybody's got all kinds of ideas just floating around that are totally contrary to what you're trying to do, so that you end up feeling that you're doing a good thing if you help a little old lady across the street. There's so much more good to do than that, not that you shouldn't do that also. It should become a natural thing that you don't live for yourself. You don't matter, I don't matter, none of us is anything but a little grain of sand on this vast beach of reality. But a beautiful grain of sand even can shine. And if you make your life a shining life, you can change the world. Not you alone, perhaps, but as they say in India, One moon gives more light than all the stars and one shining individual gives more light than all these other people who only go around thinking of themselves. And if you notice the people in your life who do shine, it's always those who think of being instruments for him, who pray to him constantly, who try to use his power, who understand that he's a factor in their lives. Not something to be put on a on an altar or a shelf to be returned to on Sunday or something. But something that's constantly there. This is what our lives need to become. And when I meet people from Ananda, I see how many people shine with that light. That's much more important than anything else one can do. This is God's world, not yours and not mine. He has his own drama, and we're just there doing our little bit, but after we go, that power is still there. I know that this was a true dream to a certain extent. It may have been mixed. For instance, uh, Manosh first had Bengali brown skin. By the end of the dream, he had blonde skin and uh, blonde hair and uh, light skin. It was a dream in a way, but it was also true because I felt power in it. The power of God bringing this teaching into the world, changing the world, and ushering in a new era. This is what you and I are doing, and it's very exciting. We're part of a great adventure. A hundred years from now, people will look back and realize that this was what was happening, not the game between the giants and the... (laughs) (laughs) Take (laughs) courage, even if they lost. He's the real game going on, and he's trying to use us to bring this surge of mostly it'll be coming closer to the reality, closer to God. It's ironic that science, which is basically materialistic, has come a lot closer than religion as as a whole to seeing the unity of everything. Science is always discovering that underneath these apparent differences there's one thing. Religion is concentrating too much on the differences. We believe in this, yes, yes, but we believe in this. Oh, but we, we actually think this is more, yeah, well that's your problem. And so they go on fighting and fighting. I said to the Bishop of Assisi recently, when I was there last, that uh, he was saying that you have to accept Jesus Christ as your savior. I said, well really I think that's his business. My business is to love him. I can't say he's got to save me. That's his job. He said, well that's an interesting way to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Who are we to say we're right? He's the one doing that. But when we understand this truth and bring him into our lives and let him guide us, we find that, yes, we can make mistakes. After all, the mind is fallible. You have a desire that something turn out this way or that way. And you sort of egg, egg God along, don't you? God, let it be so. But I hope it's going to be this done. Okay, right, right. His will isn't always your will. But you must work hard at making your will his will. You must work hard at only wanting his will to be done. So that even, mind you, to take a very worst case scenario, you have a a child who's dying of cancer. Naturally, you're going to ask God for his life. But you must also pray, God, if it's your will, this is a hard thing for anyone to accept. There are certain things in life where it's very difficult to accept that God really does want this. It's only because your view is limited. Maybe he's had a short span because that's all he needed. Maybe he had something else to learn. You, if you can really have the faith that whatever God wants, I will use his power to the extent that I can to make that child well, but after that, always with non-attachment, it being my will that is done, you'll see that always in the end, his will turns out to be what uh, is right for you, for the others. And suffering is always a result of wishing that things were or had been other than they are. Once a person accepts, then he understands and he's grateful. Well, Who knows how that jury is going to vote, but I have to say that we were all very impressed with our lawyers and not so much impressed with theirs, although they do have. I don't mean that in a way that it could sound, because to be fair, obviously uh, isn't easy in such a circumstance, and uh, yes, I do want Master's will to be done, but I must say that when we prayed with Daya and their board of directors in 1990, down in Fresno, and Daya led us in prayer that Master's will be done, we prayed as sincerely as they did. And we've won every decision so far. This is only the last little thing. Eighty-five percent of this thing is already won by Ananda. But We still pray, let your will be done, but of course, we'd be happy to see ourselves released from this blasted burden. (laughs) Yes, I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) It has been a burden. It has not been easy and how wonderful it would be to be able to use our energy all toward a positive direction and not to have to keep fighting for our very lives. Well, we're certain that won't be the result of this, this thing. It's, it's going to be good. Anyway, we hope that it's absolutely good so we can just finish with it completely. We'll see. Tomorrow morning we may get the answer. I hope we do. I wish I'd been able to be there, um, but I have to go to Italy. In fact, I have a large number of people who are coming for the weekend of All Saints Day on November 1st. Um, just because I haven't been there so long. So the place is absolutely packed. And uh, I couldn't postpone it, so I'll just use, keep my cell phone open and wait for the news. Pray for this, though. If you want to pray for anything, pray, yes, that God's will be done, but don't sit on the lines. You can't do it in this life. You can't say, well, all is good and all is fair. It isn't always, except in God's will. But we have to try our best. We have to do our our battling, and we've had to learn that lesson. I still get letters sometimes, we get letters. Why did you have to fight? We didn't want to fight. But what are you gonna do if people are trying to destroy you? Are you gonna say, oh, that's all right then, destroy me? I think that's just not realistic. That's not the way this world is made. It isn't what God wants of us. That's why he sent Arjuna into battle. We have to battle for what we believe in. We must never battle to hurt other people, but we must battle for defending what is right. This is essential. I don't believe in aggressive war. No righteous war is aggressive. That's what worries me somewhat about what's going on now over there in Iraq. But who am I to get involved in that one? But I do feel that on the whole, if we stand up for what we believe in, we will see that our prayers need to be made practical. How, what is the best way to pray? Make your prayer practical, don't don't be a dreamer. God is practical, it took a lot of practicality to make this world function the way it does. But in his practicality, he's not down to earth. He lifts it all up into his bliss. Behind all the tests of life, there is the bliss of God guiding us. Be guided by that bliss. And you will see then that what happens out of this case, I think it'll be a continuation of the story so far. Even if it isn't, it won't be that big a thing. The big thing now is that finally we're gonna be rid of this test and we can begin to really concentrate on building Ananda as we want to. Our millions that you all from your pockets have had to put in to this are now going to be diverted toward uh, another cause, a better cause. Don't feel that it's been a waste. We have actually been fighting a war that is 2,000 years old. Who knows how much older? But it's been a natural thing. Back in the beginning of the Christian church, there were the groups of Gnostics who started communities, who felt that God has to be realized inside, not taken, and uh, truths not taken just from priests, honor the priests, listen to them, but let your own experience be the determiner. Well, the church didn't like that. The church said, you've got to believe the way we tell you You notice in the Acts of the Apostles, they had communities. You don't notice that in church history, they were knocked off the chessboard ages ago. So were the Gnostics. All you read about the Gnostics from the church point of view is the absurdities. But Master said, Jesus Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago. His teachings have been crucified for 2,000 years every day. That is the battle that we've been fighting. Insti- <coughs> institutionalism versus realization, self-realization. Self-realization means the realization of every individual. No organization can tell you what you must realize. Somebody in Germany had a vision of Master. I don't think it was a true vision. In fact, I think she was not quite balanced. Nonetheless. The answer she got from Mount Washington is, nobody except members of the board of directors can have a vision of Master. <laughs> <coughs> I just don't accept that. How can not anybody who's sincere have a vision of God and Master and Christ and everybody? Religion cannot be held within the confines of an institution. That doesn't mean that there should there should not be an institution. It's not either or. But, you know there was a story of uh, Ghandev he he or Ganeshwar he was the uh, uh, he, he was the son of uh, <coughs> a Brahmin who fell, and as a result they were made outcasts. This is seven hundred years ago, and. Uh, the he, he took a letter to the priests in the nearest big city and asked them if they would go through the scriptures and find a way, after his father had, had died, um, find a way to reinstate them as Brahmins. And the priests went through this and uh, all the scriptures, and they finally said, the scriptures are silent, so must we be. Now, it's very interesting what happened after that not the miracle that happened, that reinstated those children as Brahmins. The miracle was this, that, that uh, he was saying, little Gyandeva was saying, that uh, all is God, everything is God. And so one of these priests indignantly said, you mean to tell me that God is as much in that buffalo over there as he is in you? Yes, bring him here. He said, all right, if he's as much in you as he is in, in, uh, in that buffalo as it is in you, make him pray. Well, he began make him speak. So the Ganda began to pray, and because he was an outcast, they were outraged that he would pray in front of these Brahmins and close his mouth. The moment he closed his mouth, the buffalo finished the prayer. <laughs> it was a miracle, and they suddenly realized that he was a true Brahmin, and that they, it was right to reinstate them. Now, Master, afterwards, said, but remember, it was not wrong of those priests to act as they did. They had to follow their rules. Those were the rules that they understood. It was only when a higher revelation came to them that they they understood that this supersedes what what we could read in the scriptures. This is living reality. And so Master was showing, and it's very interesting, that he would point out that both sides are real. I don't speak against institutions, I speak against institutionalism, but I believe the most important thing Master came to bring us was self-realization, each one individually before God. That is how we should pray, not with long prescribed prayers from any book. As he said in the introduction to Whispers from Eternity, one of the most beautiful books of prayer I've ever read. I'd say it was the most beautiful. And yet, he said, the most beautiful prayer of all is what you say from your own heart. Don't just memorize those and say that because they were written by a master, therefore they're the best prayer. The best prayer is what you can say from your own heart. That book tells you how to look toward God and how to speak to him but it's got to come from your heart. And if you don't believe in him, say so frankly, he understands your heart. Tell him I don't, I don't believe in you, but I'd like to. Be honest. He will appreciate that, and he will gradually help you. You know, I had to go through lots of doubts in the beginning. I was very intellectual, and uh, very well-educated, I'd read all sorts of things and the classics and all, everything. I had a certain amount of intellectual pride, and I had lots of doubts. And I found that doubts were like a hydra-headed monster. Every time you lop one off with an answer, another one grows. And I realized the only solution, thank God I found that key, is love. By loving God, by loving Guru, I realized what truth is really all about. That's what prayer should be about. That's what our service to God should be all about. In my letter to these monks, I said that I want very much to see harmony established between us before I die. But because if it doesn't happen before I go, I'm afraid there will be a lot of bitterness behind, left behind people feeling that I was treated unjustly, people angry over those things. I don't think it can be healed. And I said that this can be perpetuated into the future so that someday in the future, there can be religious wars because of this disdifference between two children of the same guru. It should not be. I pleaded with them. I don't feel I have to plead with you. I have not seen that kind of bitterness and I don't, I'd don't. i like to think it never will be there, but it could be. I'd like to feel that we're so busy doing what we can to serve God and Guru that we don't think about how other people think about us. We just don't care. But these are realities. If you look at history, it's just the pages of history are stained red with the blood of constant violence, and therefore, I say, let's always be charitable. Let's always realize that behind all of the differences, it's all God's play. Let's just love him and be busy ourselves that we love him enough. That's all he asks of us. There have been many times when we've asked, why did this happen? Why did we have to go through this? We're all serving God. We're all serving Guru, but that's coming clear. So far, at least, this lawsuit's been a great blessing for Ananda. We've grown so strong. We've grown so deep in our sincerity. It's been a great blessing. I'm sure that blessing will continue, but cling to the blessing. Don't let bitterness come in. And if and when we win, and I hope it's total, <coughs> don't let it be the ticker tape kind of parade. Wee wee we won. None of that. Just compassion, and love, and calmness. Take it inside. God will have won because it was right. God will show us if we're wrong or if we're wrong. And so just be in tune with him and be charitable to all. And in that way, if you pray, don't pray, as I'm sure many of you were doing, in a way, for the giants. (laughs) Don't be (laughs) team-minded, always be impersonal, God is impersonal. He loves all his children equally, let us try to be his instruments by loving all equally.